just a small town girl living in a lonely world she took the midnight train going Amazing, amazing. That's the 80s. You know, I had hair in the 80s. It was a pretty amazing time in my life. I never stopped believing that my hair is going to come back. But uh, All right. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Keith Valentine. I'm one of the volunteers here. Thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday here. If you're new here, new first couple times, we'd love to know who you are. If you could stop by the starting point booth after the service, get us your information that we can get you on our mailing list so we can keep you in touch with all the stuff we have going on here at this campus like I'm about to announce. Got a few announcements before we jump into the day. Uh, May 13th, we're doing baby and child dedications. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's just an opportunity for us as parents to de 
dedicate our children to God. It's, it's a public ceremony. It's really cool. We pray over them, and we, as a community, agree to lock arms and help raise them, uh, pointing towards God the whole time. So it's a really cool uh, family event as a campus. Uh, also, May 5th, so May 5th, that's this Saturday, I was told. May 5th is this Saturday. Spring Serve, we got our serving projects. One of the things that we believe the church is supposed to be is a light to the world, a light to your community. So we love going and, and helping fixing up people's houses. We paint them, do landscaping, do stuff to just change their lives. So it's a really great family opportunity. I, I bring my kids all the time. They get mostly paint on themselves, but sometimes the house gets painted uh, eventually. But it's a, it's a great, great family atmosphere. So just I'd love for you to think about that, pray about that. Now, next we have summer camps coming up this summer, June 22nd through the 25th. That's uh, Camp K-Kids, Kids Jam, Camp Kids Jam. That's second through fifth grade, right? That's the 22nd through the 25th. And then the sixth through 12th graders, that is June 18th through the 22nd. And this is just a great opportunity for these kids to, one, get out of your house. That's always fun. Get them out of there. And then, two, they get to have fun. They get to get dirty. They get to learn teamwork. They get to learn how to worship God, which is one thing that they just need to do, right? We need to train up the next generation on how to worship God, all right? Now, we are in week four of our series called Riding the Storm, where we've just been talking about all the difficult things that happen in life. Uh, our fearless leader, Kevin, is back from vacation, so we look forward to Yeah, yeah, give it up for that. Super excited to, to hear him speak. All right, so before we do that, though, uh, I'd love for you guys to stand up, say hi to the person next to you, crunch into the middle for people that are coming in late, and we'll get on with the service. Just to keep it together, together I know you think that you're just too far gone But hope is never lost Hope is never lost Hold on, don't let go Hey Just take one step closer For one foot in front of the other You'll get through this Just follow the light in the darkness You're gonna be okay Foot in front of the other, we 
all growing up, uh, if anyone ever asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I um, would always say a mom. Uh, I never really wanted to do anything else that just sounded like the best job uh, to have kids and uh, to be with them. And uh, with my first two boys, uh, it was uh, pretty easy. Uh, got pregnant pretty quick and um, very textbook. Pregnancies, deliveries, no problems. They're awesome, crazy. <laughs> when our two-year-old uh, turned um, one, we started having the conversation of if we should try to have a third and uh, then got pregnant pretty quick uh, when we started trying. And I was super excited, kind of hoping it was a girl, thought that would be really cool since we have two boys. We went in for our first ultrasound and I was a little nervous because I wasn't sick at all. I had been sick with the other bo with the boys. And so she started, um, you know, looking around. I didn't see, you know, this little peanut uh, kind of moving around or anything. And she waited a while and then said that what she was seeing wasn't measuring correctly. And, you know, eventually found out that uh, her baby had stopped growing at six weeks. There was no heartbeat. I'll, I'll never forget that. The one thing that was really sweet when we started driving home, I felt like the Lord really gave me a vision of this sweet little girl who looked like my boys. She had Hayden's hair. It was kind of curly and a little ponytail. And she looked like my son Kaysen with his round cheeks. And she was dancing around Jesus's feet. And I said to Curtis, I really think that it was a girl. And um, we decided to name her Ellie. That had been our girl name since before I got pregnant with our, our oldest. Just a really sweet, sweet name that we had always loved. And I felt like it was really important to give her something really special. It was a long couple of months of grieving that and trying to understand that that loss is really personal. It's a very personal loss to be pregnant and then have them tell you that you're actually not anymore. And I think it was three or four months later that um, I wasn't feeling quite like myself, found out I was pregnant and was very, very surprised. Um, and immediately filled with a lot of anxiety. And the weeks kind of dragged on and everything looked normal and we were feeling really excited, finally starting to feel excited. We passed the first trimester. I felt like it was safe to tell people, you know. Uh, I, felt, I felt like I could let myself get a little excited, dream a little bit. I uh, hit the 16 week mark and uh, some things started. Um, not going quite right. So they admitted me to the hospital and couldn't figure out uh, what was wrong exactly. And about 9.30, 10 o'clock, uh, I started having you know really intense contractions and was up pretty much all night. Um, and there was a point where I was starting to get really, really anxious and I was starting to um, kind of panic a little bit because I've had two babies. I know what I know what it feels like to be in labor and about 3.30 in the morning, my water broke and it was over. Take my mind, take my pain Like an empty bottle takes the rain And heal, 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 heal And take my past and take my sins 
empty sail takes the wind And heal, 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 heal And tell me something's last And tell me something We've um, been in this series for four weeks now, it's our fourth week, um, talking about suffering and pain and storms of life, and, and I know, you know, we want to come to church, we want to feel good, we want to leave here uplifted, and we want to leave up here lighter than when we came in, but um, if we're real and honest about the reality of life, that's life. Like every one of us, we can relate in some way to the story that Jordan just told. We've all experienced brokenness. We've all um, been hurt. We've been lost. We've, we've felt hopeless. And um, when we get to those places, uh, I just got to tell you, the only answer is Jesus. Like if you were to come to me and say, what do I need? I, that's where I would point you. I'm like, the first thing you need is you just need Jesus. That's where you find help and that's where you find hope and that he's where you find truth. And, uh, you know, I just spent um, 10 days in Israel. It was my, my first time there. My wife and I um, went. And um, when you go there, uh, the evidence of Jesus Christ and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection is just overwhelming. It is, it is, um, it's almost as if God um, wrote the most important story, uh, humanity's most important story. He wrote it not just not just in a book, not just in the Bible. It's like he, he, he wrote it with, with historical events and stone foundations and cities and archaeologists are still digging up proof and validation of the stories of the Bible. It's almost like God said, I'm going to overwhelm you with evidence that there's something to this man, Jesus, and that he was who he said he was. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting coming back. I, I sat down and I watched... Um, both Bill two weeks ago and then Marcio from this last week, and they did a great job. I love listening to, to both of them um, just speak over the last couple of weeks. But, but afterwards, we're sitting in my office, and, and it was just heavy after going through two services in a row. We're sitting in a dark room watching it on video. And, uh, and afterwards, I, I, I looked at Michael Farage. He's our arts guy. And, and I just I, I looked at him. I said, man, through this series, like, haven't we suffered enough? It's been like three weeks of suffering, right? It's like we got another week to go of suffering and, um, and Michael just, just looked at me and he just said, you know, we need to come out of the storm, don't we? And I'm like, you know, we, we, we kind of do uh, need, to, need to work on, on coming, uh, coming out of the storm so there's not like a downer alert every week, you know. It's like, it's just kind of like we need to figure this out. And, and so I have three ideas about kind of coming out of the storm. Um, but before I get there, I, I want to just take a moment and share with you one of the most powerful moments um, for me. Um, as, as we were um, in Israel, and it happened, um, I think it was maybe the second or third day um, that we were there, but we went to this place in Jerusalem called the Old City, which is where King David built his um, palace. Um, it was kind of the first city of Jerusalem. David built it, his son Solomon built his palace there, and then Solomon built the temple, which you can see today. Um, we still have the foundations of that actual temple um, that was built. And um, we were, we were up on top of this high platform um, at the corner of the, the old city, and uh, it was fascinating what you could see. First of all, Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains, and I, I had no idea when I went there of the like, terrain of, of Israel, um, but we're up on this platform, and you can see from one spot so many of the events that happened the night that Jesus was betrayed and the next day when he was crucified from one spot. It's that close. And so, uh, you know, you, I've got a video that they're going to show you, and it, it's like try and not get um, car sick while you're watching it. Um, but, uh, but, and I'm not going to point out anything. I just want you to see. It's like what you can see from that vantage point I was at. You can see the Garden of Gethsemane where uh, Jesus went to pray with his disciples on the night he was betrayed um, and was so distressed that he literally sweated drops of blood because of the distress he was in. You could see the Kidron Valley, which is right next to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they took Jesus um, down to get to the steps 
that they still have leading up to Caiaphas's house, which was the high priest at the time where Jesus was condemned and beaten and, uh, and, and where uh, uh, Peter disowned him three times. They still have that site. Um, and then from there, you can see the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus um, spent a lot of time teaching, but he also ascended back up into heaven um, after uh, being resurrected from the dead and spending 40 days with his followers. And you can see all of that from this one vantage point. And it hit me as I was thinking about the series, just how deeply Jesus knows suffering. Like he knows suffering. Jesus, God in the flesh, came here not only to just teach us and to, to heal us and show us what love for all people looks like, but he came here and he suffered. And I just started thinking through what he experienced. And let me just run down a list because you're going you're gonna to be able to connect with so many of the things Jesus went through. Um, he experienced agony as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and disappointment when he asked God if there was any other way. Do you realize that? Jesus said, God, is there any other way to do this other than this? And God said, no. Because sometimes we wonder, well, God, you know, you're not answering my prayer the way I want, so therefore you, you don't exist or you don't care about me. Jesus said, God, is there another way? And God just said, no, there's not another way. Jesus experienced betrayal as one of his own disciples he poured into for three years actually sold him for 30 pieces of silver. He experienced hatred against him as in the entire city yelled, crucify him. He experienced injustice, injustice as they falsely accused him, loneliness as his closest friend denied knowing him, and the rest of the disciples ran off when he was being accused, physical punishment as he was whipped, emotional loss as his father turned his back on him, ridicule as soldiers mocked him, humiliation as they spat in his face, exhaustion as he fell down three times carrying a cross up a hill to where they were going to crucify him on it, and indignity because the way that they crucified him most probably was absolutely naked on one of the main roads going in and out of Jerusalem. And I just want you to take a look at that list for just a minute. You know what Jesus says to us through that list about our pain and suffering? He says, I understand. I've experienced the entire range of human emotion from mountaintops to the valleys. And he says, I know what it's like to ride into the biggest storm of your life and to get tossed around on the waves and to get overcome by evil. And he says, and I know how to come out on the other side victorious. And so I want to give you a truth that is a promise from God's word, which is, Really his love letter to us. If you ever wonder, you know, why should I read the Bible or what's in the Bible for me? I just got to tell you, um, God went through a lot of trouble to write a book to you about how much he loves you. To tell you how important you are to him. To tell you how well he knows you and understands humanity and the struggle that we all face just being alive. He also tells you how much he longs for you to spend eternity with him in heaven. This is why we read this book. It's God's love letter to us, and this is one of his promises, and this is just, just a truth for today, is that God will never waste a hurt in your life. He'll never waste one. He'll never waste a hurt that happens in your life. They are horrible to go through. We all have gone through them, but they become useful in the hands of God because sometimes they're turning points in our life. You can look back on your life and go, that pain, that suffering, that experience, that turned my life around. They lead to opportunities that you could never have without the storm. They shape our thoughts and our dreams. And I don't know if you've experienced that through the suffering and the loss. They shape your thoughts and dreams. They draw us close to people that, that we wouldn't necessarily be close to. They bring character, sharpening wisdom, compassion into our lives. They're very interesting the way God uses them to, to make us better. For some of us, it is the tipping point that got us into relationship with God in the first place. And you would never wish that on somebody else, but it was that event that turned you towards God, which has literally changed the legacy that you're going to leave on this earth. And so um, God will never waste the hurts in our life. And there's a truth. The truth of that is found in 1 Peter 5.10. There's a number of verses, but I want to give this to you because this might need to be the verse that you hear this morning. It says, in the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. And he's just saying, look, I know life and I know that you're going to suffer because all of us do, but after you've suffered a little while, there'll be an end to it, will himself, that's an important word, that himself word, because it's personal. 
He's saying, he's saying, I myself, God himself will comfort you, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So I want to get practical today. Um, we've talked about the mechanics of suffering. We've talked about how, to, how do we see it? How can we think about it? How can we understand it? Well, let's just get really practical and go, is there anything you and I can do to come out of the storm? Or do we just kind of hope that they, they, they end eventually like most storms do? Um, is there anything we can do to start the process of turning our ship back towards calmer waters? Um, are there lighthouses out there in the waves to help us navigate? And, uh, and so I, I've kind of come up with three this morning, three ways for us to begin moving out through the storm and out of the storm if you find yourself in one. Like we've said, you're either heading into one, in one, or heading out of one. Well, what do you do when you're in the midst? And so um, if you find yourself in one of the storms of life, the first thing that I would just tell you to do, if you were to come to me and go, what do I do, is, is this first one, is you need to lean into Jesus. Lean into Jesus. Um, the word we, uh, the, the verse we just read uh, speaks of a process to suffering that ends with um, uh, restoration, strength, and resolve, and it starts with leaning into Jesus. And I'm telling you, this next verse I'm going to read is why some of you are here in church this morning. It's Jesus speaking, and he wants to say this to you, Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody feel that way? And he says, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What is he saying? He's saying, look, the rest you're going to find with me is not like you're going to wake up and feel restful and you're not going to be bone tired. He says, there's a rest I want to give you that is soul deep. It goes all the way down to your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus is just saying, I want to take your burdens on my shoulders and allow you to walk alongside me. And so I've leaned on this verse Hundreds, if not thousands of times in my life, it's a verse that I memorized a long time ago that I just, I need. And I said in week one that I would share some more of the story um, that Melissa and I went to, kind of our, our, one of our greatest tragedies that we experienced in our lives, the suffering that we went through for many years um, early on in our marriage. And, and so um, I want to share with you three distinct moments um, through that journey that we've been on for the last 20 years that... That, um, that began to move us out of the worst storm of our life. And so a little bit of backstory. Some of you guys, you know this, but at the age of 24, um, I lost my leg in an accident. I was helping a lady change her tire and uh, standing behind her minivan and a girl hit the back of the minivan going 50 miles an hour, never hit her brakes and just basically destroyed my legs, um, both of them, and, and destroyed me in the process. Um, and my life in that accident in the blink of an eye went from, um, from, from dreams uh, you know, I had just come off of a career playing collegiate golf and, uh, and actually volleyball in college for Oakland University. I had a new job as a youth pastor. I was seven months married um, to a total hottie. Um, I was young. I was in shape. I had a potential for a career on the PGA Tour. It's like those were my dreams. I had all these things laying out before me, and I went from that literally in the blink of an eye to spending four months in a wheelchair, um, not knowing if I was going to ever walk again, um, spending years, four to six years, in unbelievably excruciating pain every time I tried to take a step, um, you know, and just all of those things are just, were just lost, and I started to deal with the reality of the fact that the dreams that I had when I was young were never going to happen, and I don't know if you've experienced a moment like that where you just realize every dream you ever had is, is just, it's, it's dead, that's how I felt. That's what I was mourning the loss of. I spent, uh, it happened on December 15th, 1997. I spent 10 days in a coma, woke up Christmas Day, um, 1997. Merry Christmas. Um, you don't have a leg. Like that was kind of how it went. I didn't know that I had lost a leg until I woke up and just kind of looked down at the bed and through a couple other things and just saw, that, you know, where my right foot is, there's a lump. Where my left foot's supposed to be, it's just, it's literally undisturbed. Like there's nothing there. Um, and I just started a free fall uh, of despair and loss, like for a couple weeks. Um, and I, I hit bottom two weeks in. And um, I hit bottom in the, in the jacuzzi room is what they kept calling it. And uh, they kept saying, we're going to take you to the jacuzzi room. And you might have heard this story. I've told it a few times here. But, uh, you know, jacuzzi, you think, like, it's going to be really nice. There's going to be people giving you grapes and waving palm fronds, you know, fanning you. That's what I see in my mind. And they're like, well, let's go to the jacuzzi room. They wheel me in. And it's a bunch of stainless steel vats. 
um, uh, that there's just a very sterile room and it's cold and I'm just like this is not a jacuzzi room but they're all excited because this is like the next step in me healing and so they, they wheel me over to this big tank and they take my gown off and they take off all the bandages on my body and, um, and uh, then they put me down in this water and they take the jacuzzi jets you know fun bubbles woo you know the jacuzzi jets they aim one at the end of my left leg and one at the middle of my back because they need to flush road debris out of the wounds so that's that's the jacuzzi room there's like there's a purpose to it besides fun not fun um, and so I uh, they, they put the jets in those areas of my body and then they uh, the nurse goes okay I'll see you in 20 minutes she shuts this curtain around the whole thing and sets a timer and leaves and um, I just have to tell you uh, I look down at my body for the first time without bandages on it and um, I lost it I just wept it was like you could see muscles through the end of my left leg because they were hoping the skin would heal so that I could have keep my knee um, I had staples all over my right leg there were just wounds everywhere it looked something like something out of a horror movie and you know you see that and you just realize the finality of, of what had happened to my body and so I just began to weep and it was one of those uncontrollable weeping where it was a whole body weeping I couldn't stop it I couldn't keep it from happening it just overtook me because of the reality of what my life had become um, and as I sat there weeping I've never cried harder in my life than that moment I can just tell you if not, not one time have I ever experienced that kind of loss um, and as I'm crying and, and, and weeping at the loss I began to what starts to rise up in me is anger um, anger at God and I don't know if you've ever been angry at God but all of a sudden this anger starts rising up of going I'm doing what you want me to do with my life like I picked this job I chose my career path for what you were asking me to do and I just started like laying on the layers of, of how could this happen to me why would you allow this to happen to me why why don't you step in and do anything and as I as, as it started to well up in me though that weeping turned to anger and the best way I can describe it you know if you've heard me tell this it's like I began to look up into God's face um, to just blast him with both barrels and just tell him what I was really thinking um, and and um, what stopped me in my tracks as I looked up into his face and what startled me and I, I just looked the best way I can describe it as I looked into his eye is there were just tears streaming down his face just crying and weeping as hard as I was and it was literally in a moment like waves kind of washing over you I start realizing I'm like oh my gosh you didn't cause this you were standing right beside me when that car hit me. You rode in the ambulance with me to the hospital. You were in the, in the operating room when they worked on me for 20 hours trying to fix my legs. And, and, and when they lost me twice on the table and I'm still upset I didn't get a near-death experience or the bright light at the end of the tunnel, total gyp. Um, I'm still upset about that. We'll talk when I get to heaven. Um, but as it kind of hit me in waves that he never left my side, the anger started to leave and the weeping came back. And the best way I can describe what happened in that moment is I just crawled up in his lap and he held me like a dad. I mean, just full bear hug covering every part of me. And we wept together. It was just, it was, I don't even know how many minutes it was, but all I do know is that when the nurse came back, I was a little different than I was when I went in. And then that happened every day. They took me for a week, for seven days straight. They put me in the tank and needed to flush the road debris out of the, my wounds. And every day, she would shut the curtain, hit the clock, and I would begin weeping, and I would crawl up in God's lap, and he would just hold me and just, just cry with me and just say, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You need to trust me. And what was really interesting about that is that um, he didn't fix everything. He didn't make everything better. He didn't um, grow my leg back, which I know he can. He's just holding out on me. Um, he didn't take away the pain of the injuries. It's like I had pain for, for, for years, just excruciating pain. He didn't take that away. But, you know, as I leaned into his presence, um, he began to give me rest. Um, his embrace began to give me strength his tears absorbed my anger at the at the loss he was lightening my burden just by spending time with him it's like i came out of there lighter as he took some of the weight of what i was experiencing on his shoulders and and um i just got to say you may not know how to lean into jesus you might not know how do i even do that how do I, if i'm struggling how do i lean into him and i'll just tell you it can be as simple as just talking to him it's not very complicated it's as simple as going, Jesus, I need help. I need you. I, 
I don't, you could even say, I don't even know how to lean into you, but I want to try right now. See, the interesting thing about God and about Christ is that he's not interested in you following the rules that you can find in the Bible and think that that's what it means. He's interested in having a relationship with you and knowing you so that you, when you lean on him and you lean into him, you're not leaning into a force or, or this God that you don't know. You're leaning into somebody that knows you, that created you, that wants to wrap his arms around you. And it's about relationship, not about rules. And maybe you've never done that before in your life. And I'll just tell you, all you have to do is begin to talk to him. I've always been taught, and I love this idea, is that every time you say, hey, Jesus, or hey, God, he says, hey, hey, Kevin, God, I need your help. I'm right here, Kevin. It's that simple. You need to lean into Jesus. If you're in the middle of, the, of a valley, lean in, and you'll be amazed at what he does in those moments. Second way, we um, move out of storms. The first way is we lean in Jesus. The second way is we lean on encouragers. We lean on encouragers. First God, Romans 15, 5, Paul is writing. He's an apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, started churches all over the place, and um, actually met Jesus um, uh, after he had already ascended into heaven. Paul had an experience with Jesus, and uh, he wrote this. He said, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, if you need endurance and encouragement, you need to lean on encouragers. God is one of them. Um, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the ways that God encourages us is, is through this book. And um, I'll just tell you, if you need encouragement, start reading. Start in the book of John. Um, don't read the King James version of the Bible. It's really holy and awesome, but it's really hard to understand, okay? I don't want to, like, knock the King James version, but it's hard to understand. Um, but if you get an NIV or an NLT, New Living Translation, we'll give you one in the back on your way out, by the way. Start in the book of John, in the New Testament, and just start reading. God will encourage you. He'll give you words that you're like, how did he know? How did he know that that's what I needed? Um, and then what you need to do is you lean on encouragers, first God, then other people uh, that live out these verses, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. We all need that, um, just as in fact you are doing, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened. There are people in this world that literally um, are drawn to people that are disheartened to encourage them. God sends them sometimes. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And I'll just tell you, I was, in, I was surrounded by a lot of encouraging people. Um, as I was recovering, but there was one guy that kind of stands out um, as one of the, one of the top encouragers uh, during that time in my life, and he, I don't remember a thing he said, because he didn't say anything. Well, he said a lot, but he didn't say anything that was encouraging that I remember. It's what he did is what I remember. Um, first of all, his name's Steve Andrews. He's like the, the founded Kensington, the Kensingtons that are up in Michigan um, in 1990s. But we had be become a great friend, had a great friendship, and he was kind of like a spiritual dad to me. Um, and the kind of guy he is, he's big, big, big guy, um, boisterous, uh, a lot of fun. He, the kind of relationship we have, he walks into my, my uh, hospital room. I'd been awake for about a week. And he walks into my hospital room. You know, there's people in the room visiting. And he goes, he goes, hey, man. And he walks over to my bed and he grabs the edge of my gown and lifts it up like this and goes, man, holy smokes. Now, you got to, now, don't imagine this, but I'm not wearing anything under the gown, okay? Like, don't, just strike that from your mind. And he stands there and he's like, man, that looks really rough. You know, I'm like, there's people around the room. And he's like, got my gown up like this. And it's one of those moments where I think at the time I was so tired, I was on, on a lot of drugs, I didn't care that much. But it was just that Steve, that's kind of how he was. So he, uh, I spent a month in the hospital, I go home finally, I'm in a wheelchair for four months, and I don't know when I'm going to get a prosthetic leg. But he calls me about, about a month and a half, two months into being home, and he just says, hey, I'm going to come pick you up, we're going to go to the golf course. And I'm like, okay, I was tired of sitting around in the apartment anyways. And so, um, so uh, he takes me to the golf course, and um, I'm just planning on watching Steve play, cause, which it won't be very fun because he's not very good, but I figure I'll just, you know, I'm outside. Um, and we get out there, and he says, hey, let's, let's drive up to the first green and let's do some chipping. Um, and I'm just like, I'm like, Steve, I can't do that. I only have one leg. And he's like, ah, oh, come on, let's go, let's go try. And he pulls out of my trunk my sand wedge. Like he had worked it out with Melissa and got one of my clubs so that I could do some chipping. He's like, let's go out there and, and try. And, and so we, um, we pull up on uh, near the number one green of Khaki Cousins, which is where I played college golf. Love that course. We pull up next to the green about five yards off. And, and he says, hey, 
let's, uh, let's have a chipping contest, quarter, quarter a hole. I'll chip you for a quarter a hole. And I'm just like thinking, are you kidding me? I'm like, I don't even know if I can do this. He's like, come on, man, let's do it. He knows how to get me because I'm just like, Steve Andrews will never in his life beat me at golf ever. Like that's what's going through my mind. I'm like, I don't care if I have no legs, I'll still beat you. Like that's what I'm thinking. He just knows how to get me doing stuff. And so, so the best way, so he goes, well, let's give it a try. So I'll, I'll show you what I did. And it was really, really cool. I just remember this. It stood out to me so much. So um, basically I'm in the cart. I, my right leg cannot hold my weight, my full weight. It's not strong enough yet. It's still so painful. And I'm in the cart, and he says, hey, come on, man, let's have this chipping contest. It's closest to hold for a quarter. And so I, I basically, I'm in the cart, and I kind of just imagine, I got about three inches below the knee right here, so just, I got nothing there. And so I'm in the cart, and I just kind of slide out under the edge, and I'm on the cart here, and my right leg is just shaking. I mean, it's just like so wobbly. I'm trying to hold up my weight, and I, I grab the club, and I take a little swing, and I'm like, okay, that wasn't terrible. I didn't fall over, and my leg didn't break in half. So I'm, I'm like, okay. And so um, he hit his chip, and, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I, I hit my chip, and I darn near about hit it perfect. Like I, and so I, I beat him on the first hole, right, 25 cents. I'm like, boom. So, so we go for the next nine holes. We do that on every hole. And um, I, I'm not lying, I won $2 off of Steve. That's how bad he was. And, uh, and it, then the one-legged guy jokes start flying. I'm like, dude, you can't even beat a one-legged guy on drugs. You know, it's like, what's your deal? Um, you're really bad at golf. And, you know, but, but, but here's what happened in that moment. It, it's like, for just a brief moment, a little, a little uh, sunshine just popped through the clouds. As I just started to, to dream a little. And say, gosh, maybe, maybe I'll be able to golf again. Because I didn't even know. I didn't even start walking yet. I didn't know what it meant to have a prosthetic leg. And, and the interesting thing about Steve is, is he didn't, I don't remember a thing he said, but I remember what he did. Sometimes the encouragers in your life come in and it's not about them saying the right thing. It's about them doing the right thing or giving you just the nudge that you need to, to break out and do something new and different that you didn't think you could do. And I'll just tell you this, there, there are people in your life that will come into the storms. I believe many of them are sent by God and they are sent by God to encourage you. And oftentimes we don't want anything to do with them, do we? And we're just like, yeah, 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 you're not going through what I'm going through, so you really can't say anything to me. I, I was there, by the way. I, I literally, doctors would come into my room and friends would come in and say, oh, you'll be better at golf than you were before. And I, my mind was like, oh, how many legs you got? Two. Okay, stop talking to me because you don't know anything. Like, that was just my mindset. But I believe God was sending them to me. It's like, hey, I'm going to encourage you. So it's like you lean on them. When encouraging people come into your storms, you lean on them. And they might not say anything, but it's what they do that might be exactly what you need. And so, um, you know, for, for me, uh, I want to just say, if you're in a storm right now, there are people around you that want to live out 1 Thessalonians 5, and that is where you encourage the disheartened. And you need to lean out. God sent them. And I'll tell you what we're doing this next Saturday with this um, spring serve. We're doing it as a whole church. Because we go outside of these four walls and we're looking for families and people that need encouragement. And so there's, a, there's a, uh, an old elderly single lady that we're going and we're painting her house this next Saturday. And you know what we're doing? We're just encouraging her and, and, and loving on her. There's another family that literally, um, they still have debris in their yard from the hurricane last fall, and they've not found anybody to help them clean it up. We're going to help them clean it up on Saturday. There's a small church down south that, uh, that, is, um, that, that helps people that are in need and has a food pantry that we're going to go help stock and build some shelves for. And, and all that to do what? Just to, just to encourage people that are struggling and to say that somebody loves you and somebody cares for you. And I just tell you, it's an unbelievable opportunity we have next Saturday. We need 50 people to go. And I don't know how many are signed up. Um, I know we're not at 50 yet. We need quite a few people to sign up. It's a great kids serve. You can write in your program, fill out that little tear off section, put in the offering later. You can sign up at starting point, go online, but be a part. Don't miss the opportunity to encourage the, 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 the downhearted, uh, the people that, that the, the disheartened people that are out there in the world that just need somebody to love them. That's all we're really going to do in Jesus' name. Um, <clears throat> so how do we move out of the storms? We lean into Jesus. We lean on encouragers that God sends our way. And the last thing we do is we lean forward and we take a step. Now, what do I mean by that? And I'll just tell you this. It's like if you think about our bodies, how do you take a step in your life? How do you take a step as a human being? What do you do first? What do you start doing? Start leaning. And what happens? 
your mind automatically, you don't even have to think about it, your mind automatically puts a foot forward. All you do is start leaning and you'll start walking. And all that to say this, if you start leaning forward, you will start taking steps. And for some of you, know what, you know what the, the lean is for you? How do you lean forward? You tell somebody about your struggle. You tell somebody the storm that you're in. Especially us guys, man, we can be in the thick of it and we're like, I'm good. How you doing? Great. That's us. We don't want anybody to know that we, we're weak, right? We don't want anybody to know that we're sad. We don't want anybody to know that we're depressed. So we just hold it all in. Well, for some of you, how do you lean forward? You start talking about where you're really at. And if it's not a trusted friend, it's a counselor. And let me just tell you, I'm going to say this, and people don't believe me. Every single one of us in this room, we need counseling, okay? You're jacked up. I'm jacked up. Everybody's jacked up. We need people to help us sort through the suffering that we've all been through, the pain that we've all been through. We need that. And so after a while, um, must have been a few months, uh, Steve Andrews and a bunch of other people at Kenzie have been telling me that I need to go see this counselor, Jack Wilson. And um, I had never really wanted to see anybody before because I'm like, fine, I'm a dude, I'm good, I don't need to talk about my feelings, you know, none of that stuff. So he's like, got to see this guy. And I'm finally, I'm so bored sitting at home. I'm like, ah, maybe I should talk to somebody about this stuff. Um, I go meet with Jack Wilson. And uh, I go in there, and, you know, funny thing about me, we only talked about my leg for about a half hour. I told him the story. We talked about it. And, uh, and we were kind of done talking about my leg, which was interesting. But the way my mind works, I was just kind of like, well, it's gone. I don't hear that any of them grow back anytime soon. So well, I'll just deal with it. You know, it's just, I, I wasn't super hung up on the whole leg deal at that point in my life. And so the interesting thing is about a half hour in, Jack starts asking me about my marriage. He starts asking me about Melissa. And we talk about my marriage. You know, I'm seven months married at the time, or probably like 10 months at, you know, at that point. He starts asking me about um, our, our marriage and stuff like that. And at the end of meeting with him, he goes, hey, um, I, I want to meet, no, you know, meet with you again, and I want you to bring your wife. And I'm like, why do you want me to bring her? You know? and, and he's like, well, I just want to meet her you know, and talk to her. I'm like, okay. So uh, Melissa picks me up, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I get in the car. I'm like, hey, this guy wants to meet with you next time. And she's like, what did I do? Like, why do I need to meet with him? And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, but maybe I'm so jacked up. He wants to see who would marry a dude like me. I have no idea. Um, but he wants to meet with you. Well, what, you know, what we know now that we didn't know then is that um, uh, it wasn't just me suffering, right? It was her too. I didn't know that because I was in the middle of it and it was, there was so much pain I was dealing with, but she was suffering too. So we go back and, and we meet with um, him the next week. And he starts working on our marriage. He starts talking to us about our friendship and what it means to have the kind of marriage that we want to have for the rest of our lives. And, and, and I, I just, um, I have to tell you um, what God has done through Jack Wilson and Kathy Wilson, because what happened over the next year or two is Jack and Kathy Wilson kind of adopted us into, our, into their family, like they're bonus parents. We call them bonus parents. They call us their bonus kids for 20 years. They have walked us through and helped us through marriage issues and parenting issues and, and relational issues and leadership issues. God just gave us this couple in that moment that we had no idea when we went and met with him that first time that that's what God had planned all along. But 20 years later, I'm just telling you, I look at the marriage that we have and I'm so grateful that Jack, in the first half hour, said, let's talk about your marriage. Because I just spent, um, I just spent 10 days with Melissa in Israel, um, and it was literally from morning till night. Like, every waking moment was together. Um, and after 10 days of that, um, she needs counseling. But for me, um, after 10 days of that, I just got to tell you, I want 100 more days of that. Because of the marriage that we have, the friendship that we have, the way that um, Jack and Kathy have helped us build a foundation on God that has really led our marriage for the last 20 years. And I look back and I'm like, I am so thankful that we leaned forward and took a step to get counseling. Because we just needed it. And I look at what God did and God really wove um, Jack and Kathy into our life. He like wove them into our marriage, into our life. Um, they like, they lo love all of our kids. They've been there for us for through, through every, uh, all four, all four births of our kids. Um, 
And it made me think of a verse, what God did with them and, and what God, I think, wants to do with all of us when we lean forward, we take a step of opening up to somebody or to a counselor. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And I feel like that's what God did with us and Jack and Kathy. He just created a triple braided cord or maybe a quadruple braided cord. But for us, leaning forward and taking a step with getting some counseling, I don't know what it is for you. Um, maybe it's opening up to someone for the first time about your struggles, what you're really struggling with, what, what's really going on. Maybe it could be going back to work. It could be making a phone call to somebody that you cut out of your life years ago and, and you've not talked to him since. It could be attempting to resolve um, with God's help a conflict that needs to be put to rest. It could be starting to dream again about a better future. Maybe you have shut your dreams down. Because when you're in a valley and the clouds come in and you can't see the mountain peaks anymore, you can forget that they're there. Maybe you need to start dreaming of mountaintops again. Maybe that's the step forward. You need to tell somebody about that. But what I want to do is I want to, I want to um, close by listening to the rest of Jordan's story. She started her story at the beginning of the service. And um, uh, we're going to receive her offering at this time too. So ushers, if you guys can come forward. Uh, let me just say this. If you're new here, let the basket go by. We're grateful that you're here uh, with us. Um, this moment is not for you. Our service is a gift to you. I'm glad you're here. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And uh, for those of you that give online, thank you so much. About 60% of our giving comes in online. And so thank you for those of you that are so faithful uh, to, to obeying God and listening to him and being generous with what you have. You guys can come on forward. And then while we're watching this video, I want you to listen for how she leans into all three of the steps that we talked about today. She does all three of them um, after she hits that rock bottom moment where um, her water broke and she realized she just lost another baby. So let's listen to the rest of her story. I felt like I couldn't really pray. Um, you know, I just was really angry. Really, really angry. Just unable to understand why I was asked to go through this again the way that I had to. And so I, I decided to um, uh, talk to a friend because I felt really, really lost <laughs> and really unsure what I was supposed to do in this phase and kind of scared because it was so dark. And so I went over to her house one day and we talked for a while and then she started to pray with me. She said, I, I feel like we need to talk about the girls and I feel like I need to ask the Lord to show you where he was with each of them. And I said, I can see him in the hospital with me and every room that I was in, he was in the chair next to me holding my hand. And then when I was in the labor and delivery room, he was holding my hand and then he got up and he picked her up and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, she's perfect. And then with Ellie, he was in the ultrasound room with us standing underneath the ultrasound monitor and he was looking at me and Curtis and he said, I'm sorry. And I felt like he said to me in that moment, their bodies would have been broken here on earth, but in heaven they're not. And they're, they're whole. But then I said, Lord, I completely surrender them to you. And everything that I feel, all the hurt, all the sadness, all the anxiety, all the pain. I just pray that you would take it, that it would be yours, um, and I give my girls to you. And then there was complete peace. And, you know, it's like the storm is still, it's still there. Um, my circumstances haven't changed at all. And I remember my mom telling me that after we lost Ellie, that no life is ever wasted, no pain that we, we feel, the, the hurt that we go through, it's never wasted, that God 
um, redeems the brokenness in such a beautiful way in, in ways that we can never even imagine. I think that's really important. At least I, I know it has been for me. It's been really important to acknowledge their lives, to give them an identity and a place in our family because I'll never forget them. This is, this is something I'll carry um, always. And I'm really grateful that he's given me that, that picture of um, how beautiful their lives are, even though they were so short. You know, I love hearing people's stories of encountering Jesus because it's interesting. You, you, when they really encounter him, they never talk about a thing or a force or an it or a power. It's always about a person. It's always about a person because God's relational. And so I want to close our series out and do something that you know, we don't do a lot of here, um, but there's a power in it that we as a church can have as a, as a community. Um, God tells us that when you, uh, one of the most powerful things you can do for one another is to pray for one another. And so I want us to take a moment and just pray for some of you in the room that are um, in the middle of a storm right now and you need Jesus. You need to lean into him. You need, to, you need encouragement. You need um, to lean forward and talk to somebody you don't know if you can. And so I want to just take a moment and, and harness the, the community that we have and the family that we have and have a church moment, like a, a family moment. And I want to ask you if you need prayer and God is just doing something of you and you need to move um, and you know it, I, I'm going to ask you in a moment to just stand up because we want to pray for you. I want to pray for you corporately. And we as a church want to pray for you. And, and, uh, and also I want to pray for you if you have someone in your life that you're like, man, they're going through something that I don't know how they're going to make it. And I want to stand up in their place and, and be prayed for for them. Uh, we just want to have a moment, a spiritual moment where we ask God to do what only he can do. And so I want to ask you if you are one of those people, if you want prayer and you need prayer and you're in the a valley right now um, or someone that's close to you, is I want to ask you to just stand up right where you're at. If you would be bold enough to stand up. Thank you. God's tapping on your heart. Just stand up. Because I believe he wants to do something really special in this room. Along with you standing, um, I'm going to ask everyone else. Um, you know, in scripture, it talks about laying on of hands as you pray. And, and uh, in a room like this, that would be a little creepy and weird, okay? So we're not going to do that. Um, but um, just uh, as a symbolic way of doing that, I'm going to ask those of you that are sitting to literally just in the next few moments raise your hand towards somebody that's standing near you while we pray as a way of just agreeing with and, and placing your hand on them and asking God to do something miraculous in their life. And so um, let's close our eyes, everybody in the room. Um, and uh, if you are sitting, would you just stretch your hand out towards somebody that is uh, near you and uh, as a way of just kind of putting your hand on them and saying, I'm, I'm agreeing and praying for this person. And I just want to pray and go, Jesus, um, I pray for healing right now. Lord, you know everybody's situation this moment. You know um, exactly what they're going through. You know the fears, the worries, the, the, the things they're struggling with right now, the, the ways in which the, uh, they can't see a future other than a bad one. God, I pray right now that you'd bring healing um, to these situations, bring direction, bring peace bring um, all the things that your Holy Spirit brings when you enter into difficult situations. And God, I pray that you would bring change um, right now to every one of these situations or people that are being prayed for right now. Um, God, I ask that you would just stretch out your hand and wrap them up in your arms and allow them to begin to see a way out. Give them strength to lean into you in this moment. Bring encouragers to them to lean on, that they can lean on and, and get encouragement from. And Lord, I pray that they would begin to lean forward and take steps to letting people know the struggle, seeing a counselor, opening up about where they're at, and God allowing you to begin to lead out of the darkness. God, I thank you that we get to be a church that can harness the, the power of your Holy Spirit and ask you for things that only you can do. And so God, I pray that you would do those in this moment. In your holy name, amen. Would the rest of you stand? And um, we're going to close out our service with just singing a song about 
the God of miracles who still does miracles today in life change and reaching people that are far from him and bringing healing to broken things. So let's go ahead and lift our voices and sing along with the band.
some of us in right now, in here right now, we just need a miracle. And God, you're the God of miracles, and so I pray for that. Right now, that you would show up in unexplainable ways and do unimaginable things to bring life and light to the darkness. Thank you, Jesus, that we can lean into you when we're at our worst, and you love us and accept us and hear us your holy name. Amen. So as you head out of here, I'll just say we are done with suffering, okay? We're like moving on next week. Um, we've had four weeks of it, but uh, um, I just want to say this on your way out. If you want to join us for next Saturday's Spring Serve, stop by there, talk to them at Starting Point. We would love to have you or sign up online, and we will see you back here next week. And be thinking as you walk out who you can bring back with you next week, because there's some people out there that'll say yes if you invite them. Take care. See you guys.